Now, Nicky and I and our two daughters went up to the Tower of London on the Friday of half-term, and it seemed as though there were 888,000 other people there as well. And uh, this is... uh, uh, We also took with us Nicky's camera, her new camera that she was given recently. Um, But this picture was not taken with her camera, um, (laughs) because uh, otherwise we'd have had to be in a helicopter. But it illustrates the things that we saw while we were there. And the next picture um, was taken with her camera. And the effect there um, on me, and I guess on many other people, was just the enormous scale of the losses. That huge number is somehow meaningless. And and yet this um, display showed it in its full horror. All that red of the poppies representing the blood that was shed so many years ago. And I reflected while I was there on a whole generation of men who were killed uh, and whose death left a huge mark on our nation. And so I think it's right that a 100 years on, we should focus this year on the war that was supposed to end all wars, but sadly never did. And then, of course, there was the weeping willow, the cascade of poppies, which uh, had the effect of emphasising that people fell. It made me think of uh, people out of the trenches uh, being mown down and falling to the ground. But that wasn't the only effect that it had on me, this, this sense of a whole generation being lost. There was also the sense that it was a, a tragedy that affected individuals. And here, a close-up of some of the poppies that we saw. You, we, could, we looked at them and you could think of them as individual people who died. Each person valuable uh, and representing a life lost, a family devastated and a community shattered. And for me, there was, as I've hinted already, only one word to describe what happened and that is sacrifice. And of course that was in our reading just now. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love. So that was my first number. My second number is a great deal smaller. Just five. And I'd like to tell you about something. You may have seen a little bit about this if you watched BBC Two last night. I'd like to tell you about a lady called Amy Beecher. Here she is, a very a grainy old black and white photograph taken many years ago with a primitive camera, no doubt. She was the wife of a vicar from Lincolnshire. And she had 14 children, if you can believe that. They seemed to have a lot of children in those days. And she had eight boys and six girls. And all eight of the boys fought in the First World War. Five of them died. Five children from one family died, and only three survived. And the three that survived, one who was the youngest, he uh, was only called up three weeks before the end of the war. Another one had the good fortune to be a dentist, so he was uh, involved in uh, helping soldiers with their teeth and was therefore away from the front line. But there were five who died. 
And this is Amy Beach's grave, which is in Lincoln. And uh, you can see on it her name at the back, but also the poppies uh, all over the place. Um, and in particular, you'll notice the, at the front, there are five photographs of her five children. And a close-up of the plaque in the middle shows the names of her children uh, in, in order in which they died, not in order of age. And uh, here we are, are the pictures of the children. The, the first one, Barnard, he died in the trenches. His, his, his platoon was ordered to climb out of the trenches and attack the Germans, and they were just mown down as so many were. The youngest, Len, on the right, he was killed by being gassed. The second one, he went to Tanzania, or what was actually called Tanganyika in those days, which was a German colony. And it emphasized to me the fact that it was a world war, not just a European war. And he died in conflict with the Germans in Tanzania. And the other two, I haven't mentioned, died in France, killed by shells that landed near them. I just can't imagine how devastating it must have been for that family to have lost five sons. And because this lady, Amy, had lost such a great chunk of her family, the king and the queen got to hear about it. There's King George V and Queen Mary, and she went to meet them because they wanted to acknowledge her loss. And the queen commented to Amy Beecher about the immense sacrifice that she had made in losing her sons. And this is her reply. It was no sacrifice, ma'am. I did not give them willingly. Isn't that an interesting remark? I did not give them willingly. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Amy, of course, loved her sons very much. Now, the poppy, we've been thinking, well, nearly everybody here is wearing a poppy, and, we, and we've seen all those poppies at the Tower of London. The poppy is the symbol of remembrance at this time of year. But there is this other symbol to which the poppy is attached. You'll see it on many graves in war cemeteries, a little wooden cross, probably no more than about eight or nine inches tall, and uh, similarly, just a few inches wide. And the poppy grew abundantly in those fields in northern France and in Flanders, and they remind us of the blood shed. But the cross is a symbol that we see in church. We've got crosses in church. Even the shape of this church is in the shape of a cross. So why are we thinking about crosses at the time of remembrance? Well, the cross of Christ also speaks of sacrifice and shows us that uh, it's not only the sacrifice of individuals for their country that we're thinking about, but also the cross of Christ. Jesus' own death was a sacrifice. And there the verse again, greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And those words of Amy Beecher have resonated with me all the week. It was no sacrifice, ma'am. I did not give them willingly. And the reason it's resonated with me is because Jesus gave up his life for us willingly. I wonder if you know the old hymn, uh, There is a green hill far away, in these words, he died 
that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. And so sacrifice and love go hand in hand, don't they? And again, that, that, that verse, this is my command, that you love one another in that reading that we had just now. Jesus showed his love for us by dying for us. And love is costly. It was costly for Jesus. It was costly for those who have suffered for us in military conflicts. But what about us? Is it costly for us? St. Paul wrote this to the Romans. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so we too are called to live lives which are not only loving, but sacrificial. It is most unlikely that we will be called to give our lives in war as a sacrifice for those around us or as a sacrifice to preserve the freedom of this nation. But there is still sacrifice that we are called to do. Sacrifice in smaller ways, putting the needs of others ahead of our own. So may I present you with that challenge. Other things that we cling on to when we could be sacrificing them to help others as we sit a prayer together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of those who died a hundred years ago and ever since in times of war. But we want to thank you even more for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf on that cross outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And we pray that you would help us to follow him and to discover what it means to love others in ways that can be sacrificial. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For those that have already given their life and for those of us that remain, there is one thing that is sure, that we will all stand at one point before the throne of God. And the good news that uh, James has already shared with us is that Jesus Christ has laid down his life that we might be seen blameless and faultless when our time comes. What joy should be in our hearts because of what Jesus has done for us. We come now to that part in our service where we want to remember those who have fallen and particularly those from uh, the community here around Wanish. Uh, and Steve will come in a moment and read those names to us. So let us remember before God and commend to his sure keeping those who have died for their country in war, those whom we knew and whose memory we treasure, and all who have lived and died in the service of humankind. The men from Wanush who died for their country, 1914 to 1918. George Brown. William Butt. William Callahan. 
William Charman, Francis Coleman, Wilfred Covey, Leonard Edwards, Thomas Hammond, Frank Hardwick, Frank Hayward, Henry Hayward, Edward Hawkins, Frank Head, Frederick Hickman, Basil Hodgson, Cyril Hodgson, Edwin James, James Longhurst, James Mant, Edward Milton, George Moore, Henry Ockenden, James Shrub, James Whedon. The men from Wanash who died for their country, 1939 to 1945. George Henry Allen, William Bishop, Thomas Edward Bramble, Nigel Harold Kane, Peter Nesbitt Med, Richard George Med, Charles Pullen, Donald Tag. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will, we will remember them.
There are many people with memories of the First and Second World War. After the, the First World War was the only time my family ever made the national newspapers, the front page, actually, of the national newspapers. Um, I am one of two boys. I have a brother, in other words. Uh, we have two boys. My brother has three boys. Um, my father was one of two boys. His uh, parents had... Uh, no, his parents obviously had the two boys. Uh, above that, uh, I'm getting there, it's slow, but I'm getting there. Uh, uh, above that, I think there were three boys. Above that, there were ten boys. And then they got a girl. <laughs> Unbelievable. She played football, hockey, rugby. <laughs> no, no. Of those ten boys, eight went to the First World War and all eight returned. That's why we made the front page of the newspapers. We're still trying to work out where they were hiding. Um, But no, bless them. All eight went and all eight came back. Now, as I say, different people have different reflections of the war. Uh, And so I've asked four people just to uh, read pieces that, that have been written about the war, either about people's stories, some poems, uh, and then finishing with a psalm. So, would they like to come forward now? In Flanders' fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place, and in the sky the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch, Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Walter's story. Walter was a 25-year-old post office sorter in London when the war broke out. Like so many, he joined the work corps and spent four wretched years in France and Belgium, fighting at the Somme, Ypres and Passchendaele. He eventually was captured by the Germans and put into work in a Prussian coal mine. He later describes this as the most miserable time of his life. He said, life in the dirtiest and most dangerous trenches was worse while it lasted, but there was always the relief to look forward to if one survived. But life for me at this mine seemed one long round of almost unbroken misery. Yet it was in the mine that Walter felt God speaking to him, saying his fellow prisoners of war were sheep without a shepherd. And he asked a German officer for permission to hold a church service. It was granted, and a series of services using Walter's New Testament was held 
in the ablutions room where the men washed after leaving the mine. His Bible still falls open at Romans 12, which reads, Hate what is evil. Hold on to what is good. Let your hope keep you joyful. Be patient in your troubles. And pray at all times. Ask God to bless those who persecute you. Yes, ask him to bless, not to curse. Perhaps, by Vera Britton, perhaps someday the sun will shine again and I shall see the skies are blue and feel once more I do not live in vain, although bereft of you. Perhaps the golden meadows at my feet will make the sunny hours of spring seem gay and I will find the white may blossom sweet though you have passed away. Perhaps the summer woods will shimmer bright and crimson roses once again be fair and autumn harvest fields a rich delight though you are not there. Perhaps Someday I shall not shrink in pain to see the passing of the dying year and listen to the Christmas songs again, although you cannot hear. But though kind time may many joys renew, there is one greatest joy I shall not know again, because my heart, for loss of you, was broken long ago. Psalm 130 Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Father, we thank you for what we've heard the reflections of those involved in war and conflict, the loss that they've suffered, but the hope that they have found in you. Thank you, Father, that you can be our hope day after day if we place our hand in yours. Amen.